But tonight, I want to again just ask you, I, I don't think I ask you, everybody here knows what an alarm is, don't you? I mean, like our, our church, your church, and this is good, we have an alarm. Isn't that good? Like if, if you leave your Bible for six months, which some of you do, which really concerns me as your pastor, um, Ronnie Downs' Bible's been here since June of, of 1984, but he just found it today. We have an alarm, and the alarm works on several factors. Several things will set the alarm off. Windows come open. The alarm will go off. If doors come open, the alarm, those, those are things that will set the alarm off. There's a motion detector in case some creeper uh, hides under the pew and then decides to steal everything tonight when everybody left. There's, if you're planning on burglarizing us tonight, I'm telling you, don't do it. But there's motion detectors that would pick you up. You don't have to open a door or a window. Uh, the, the motion detectors would set that off, and which that's a good thing because a, an alarm is meant to protect you, correct? It protects your stuff, and it protects you. In Second Peter chapter 2 tonight, we're going to conclude this chapter. It's a difficult chapter as, as far as it's, again, it's, this is not ice cream. It's not cheeseburgers. Whatever your food is you don't like, this is tough to swallow. It's talking about, I think, primarily false prophets, false preachers, but I think the application is much deeper and broader. It's talking about you, and it's talking about me, and it's talking about people we know. And that's how I want you to look at that tonight. I want us to look at four things that ought to set the alarm off in your heart and in your mind. If you see this in a minister... If you see this in someone else, and most importantly tonight, if you see these things in yourself. I want to begin in this list. It's kind of a list more than it is complete sentences. Here's the first thing. Warning signs when alarms should go off when you see loud and arrogant and slanderous behavior. You see a person, and the loud's going to make sense, I hope, more in a moment, kind of a prideful, arrogant, slanderous person. This is not Positive. Now, you didn't have to come to church tonight to hear that, but it's absolutely true. In verse 12, it says, These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed like a possum or a raccoon caught in a trap. They scoff at things they do not understand like animals. They will be destroyed. Depending on your translation, that word scoff, what it literally means is blasphemous. And if you've ever been to church much, you know the word blasphemy is a bad word, and it is a bad word. Bad word. It, the word scoff here or blasphemy means to, to, to hurt someone with what you say. It's to cast doubt on someone. It's to hurt their reputation or their name by your words. When you blaspheme God, when you blaspheme someone else, you are slandering them. You, you are hurting them. These false teachers, people we know, and maybe us at times, these are people who would never admit they're wrong. These are your know-it-alls, your arrogant people who have the answer every time for everything, can spin anything, can give you a cliched response. You know, uh, from a preacher, it really troubles me. 
and, and reading some of the, the websites and things that I go to that many of you wouldn't go to because they're preachery, but where preachers will get in arguments with each other. It seems like to me the heat's been intensified in recent years where if they don't agree with what someone says, they, they slander them, they hammer them. They come back harshly, and, and knowing some of the, the logos, sometimes I know the guy who's doing the slander doesn't even know what he's talking about, and that's part of the problem. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Instead of admitting he's wrong or he doesn't understand, he's got to attack the person. That's what he's throwing out here tonight. Believe it or not, I've heard this is, even exists among church members. Y'all wouldn't believe that, would you? A preacher, would y'all believe that? A preacher friend of mine told me years ago, he had a, a person in his church that he thought was kind of coming along and wanting to grow spiritually, and he gave him a book he shouldn't have given him. It was a, it was a seminary-type book. It's kind of thick reading. Jeremy McGee, that's not always fun reading, is it? And, and uh, he probably shouldn't have given it to this person because they really weren't at the spiritual level to read it. And they took it, and they, they read it, and they came back, and the preacher said, what would you think of that book? Ah, oh, that's just a bunch of garbage. That's why you preachers are the way you are and churches are the way they are. And the guy told me, he goes, you know, the book was Seminary 101. It was just above their understanding because they're not trained in theology. And they slandered and attacked what they couldn't grasp. That's a bad sign. That's not a good sign in a preacher. It's not a good sign in a church member. It's not a good sign in you or me. In verse 18, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish Boasting. I believe the English Standard Version gives the idea here of that loud boasting. That's the arrogant, bragging person. I would just tell you tonight that when you see this behavior in a minister, the alarm should go off. When you see this in someone you love or someone you know, the alarm should go off. When you're honest with yourself and you see maybe I have some of this arrogance, some of this brashness, I have a tendency to blaspheme people. And when I don't understand something, instead of saying, I don't know, I'll find out. Man, you know, some of the greatest words you can never say is, I don't know. I don't know. Instead of attacking and slandering bad things, the alarm should go off when we see this. And others, our ministers, are ourselves. Let me pause and just ask, do you see any of that in yourself? It gets uglier before it gets better tonight. In fact, and I don't think it gets better till we do the closing prayer. So let's move forward with this passage. Here's the second characteristic, sexually immoral. Sexually immoral. Verse 13, their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in the fellowship meals. It was not uncommon in this day and age to have what we would say is wild all-night parties and orgies. And what he's saying here, and he's talking about these false prophets, these preachers, he's saying they do it in broad daylight. They practice their immorality and their sensuality and their wrong sex in front of everybody. And he uses the word, they do this at the fellowship meals. You see that, the last part of that verse? That's talking about the Lord's Supper. When the church would get together and what they had, the love feast. And he's saying, these people are so messed up. 
That even when they're at church and when they're among church members, they're, they're lustful, they're adulterous, and they're hard. In verse 14, they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well-trained in greed. The word, leave that there, the word they lure unpeople, unstable people is literally a fisherman's word. It's the picture of a, a fisherman using bait, a lure or a worm to try to disguise that hook to catch that, that fish to what? To kill it, to destroy it. And he's saying these are people that are so messed up that that they're intentional in their sexual perversion. In verse 18, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure people back into sin who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of sin. Okay, the first target here is ministers. Is that not incredible? How many of you find that incredible? Oh, you, re- you don't? I find that incredible. I'm, pre- I'm studying this all week going, my goodness, this is preachers. But surely that doesn't exist anymore, does it? Oh, yes, it does. This is a true story. It's not a good story. In the late 1980s, it wasn't me. It was one of my friends was doing a revival in a church in the great state of Tejas. He was single, and he was talking to the married pastor about, you know, wanting to get married and to find him a wife and to settle down. And, and the pastor said to him, he said, well, being single, sometimes maybe you just need to get some of the ladies in the church to take care of your needs. You're fa- good. I saw those faces. You're shocked now, aren't you? Aren't you glad that was in Texas and not Louisiana? Wow. How many of you remember David Koresh? If you don't know who David Koresh is, Google him after seven, please. David Koresh died uh, 23 years ago yesterday. It was April the 19th, 1993 uh, in Waco, Texas. I think it, Cindy, was it you or was it another girlfriend? I think it was another girlfriend. Sorry. We actually went down there after this happened and saw where it all happened. Uh, We'll talk about that later. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and uh, wasn't any kind of weird thing on my part, you know, weird preacher. We weren't, I didn't know her then. But anyway, David Koresh, if you don't know the story, him and on April the 19th, 1993, him and about 100 people died. They were killed in uh, kind of a freak accident probably with the FBI. And David Koresh had a gathering of people who worshipped him, who kind of considered him the Messiah. And by the way, he had sex with any of the women he wanted to in there. In fact, the married men were separated from their wives, and, you know, he could, he could be with the women, and even the women who were 15 years old. That's a problem. That's a problem. Sexual immorality is not right. Can I hear an amen? But let me tell you something. It's just not not right for preachers. It's not right for the people you know and love. This is the truth. Here's what we do so much. We, we're, we're strong on issues until somebody we love gets involved in that issue. Then it's not as bad. You ever notice that? You have. You're not agreeing, but you have. But let me tell you this. It's not okay for you or me either. See, it's easy to say, man, those sorry false prophets... Those sorry preachers in Texas, that one I was telling you about, David Koresh. But, but it's not okay for church members. It's not okay for you. 
And I would ask you this evening, do the alarms go off in your heart when you see or hear about sexual immorality, whether it's in the church, which it ought to go off real loud, or if it's with your friends or family, or if it's with you? Remember, a big thing he hits on here is lust, because that's where it all starts, sexual immorality. Here's the third thing, greedy, 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 sex and greedy, bad preachers, very bad preachers. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. Here's an interesting tidbit. You see the word trained there? It is literally, we get the word gymnasium from that, our English word. One scholar this week said in the Greek culture, no, it's not the, the, the word gymnasium, was the picture of an athlete training in the nude for the Olympic Games. Did you know thousands of years ago they used to do the Olympics naked? Did y'all know that? That's really uncomfortable, isn't it? By the way, if you watch modern-day Olympics, the swimmers and the volleyball people, they're basically doing it naked today if you, uh, if you watch that. You think our world's got problems. They're trained. Like an athlete trains, they have been trained in greed. They learned it from their mom. They learned it from their daddy. They learned it from their favorite preacher. They've developed an unhealthy love for money. See, some of us tonight can say, man, oh, man, when a preacher gets on TV and starts asking for money or a preacher is living like high on the hog, how wrong that is. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? Jim Baker's on TV today. I think Jim Baker had a real reform while he was in prison. But Jim and Tammy Faye Baker in the late 80s busted wide open with their uh, money and it was sex. But do you remember they had an air-conditioned doghouse? Do you remember that? Folks, I love my dogs, but you know what? They can handle the heat, can't they? I mean, when the preacher's got an air-conditioned doghouse, something is wrong. Verse 15 and 16, they have wandered off the right road, and they're following the footsteps of Balaam, son of Peor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey, you read that right, rebuked him with a human voice. Stories found in Numbers 22 through 24 in the Old Testament. Balaam is kind of the, the quintessential bad prophet. He's accused of, well, he's not accused. He helped lead the Jewish people into marrying people they shouldn't marry, into sexual sin. He, uh, he was basically bribed by a foreign king to preach against the, his people and to preach against the word of God. He was a prophet by, for hire. He chased the bucks. And obviously, when a preacher's greedy or a minister's greedy, it's a problem. But let me tell you something. It's a problem for you, too. See, in this room this evening, it may be easy for some of you to go, I don't struggle with sexual immorality, and I don't like preachers who do. Amen. I don't struggle with being slanderous. You better be careful because that's easy for the best of people to struggle with. But how's your heart when it comes to money? Ding, ding, ding. It goes off when it's a preacher, and it should. Ding, ding, ding. It goes off when someone you know has a bigger house, a nicer car, makes more money. Sometimes it doesn't go off because you're concerned about them spiritually. It goes off because you're jealous, but it goes off. 
Greed is, is an unhealthy focus and a love and a pursuit of money. The Bible says sex is great in the right context. One man, one woman, male, female in marriage. Money is necessary for life, isn't it? The Bible never says money is evil. It says the love of money is a root of all evil. When greed pops up in the church house, when greed pops up in your house, let that be an alarm that something is not the way it should be. And folks, I want to tell you, all these things, we're putting them together, we're going to say in a moment, man, they lead down a bad road, so just stay with me. Here's a fourth quality or characteristic, a negative impact on other people. You're not trying to judge a minister. You're not trying to judge your friends. Hopefully, you are trying to judge yourself this evening. But the impact we have on others says a lot about who we are. In verse 14, they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin. That's either people who are young Christians or that are pe- that's people who are emotionally and psychologically not healthy. They, they lure them. They lead them down the wrong road. In verse 17, these people are as useless as dried up springs or as a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to the blackest darkness. Verse 17, a dried up spring, that's a well. In, in, the, in the desert where they lived 2,000 years ago, a well was life or death. And, and when you saw a well when you were thirsty or you were parched for you or your animals. Man, that was life. And, and to go to a well that was, was flat and was dead and was no good, that was horrible. It, offered the, it, it looked like it was offering life and then it offered nothing. And he tells us this evening that a preacher or a person or you and me who talk a big talk, but who don't give life to others, it's barren. In verse 18, they brag about themselves with empty words and foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure people back into sin, those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Again, probably talking about people who have just been saved. They lure them back into sin. They lure them a wrong way. Wow, can you imagine a preacher? These are preachers he's first talking about here that lead people away from Christ, that lead people into sin, that lead people away from spiritual growth. My goodness, my goodness. What about people you respect and know? What's their impact on others? What is your impact on others? Do do people come to know Christ because of your influence? Are people growing in Christ because of your influence? Are people more positive and unified because of your influence? One of the things that disturbs me so much about politicians this time of the year is one of the strategies is to divide people. Divide them by race, divide them by social class, divide them by where they live, divide them by this, divide them by that. That's of the devil. Do you unify people or you divide people? Your impact, my impact, preacher's impacts, this tells a whole lot about our heart. Are you having a negative impact on others? Let me tell you what the Bible says about these people, whether it's you or me or anybody else. First, they're in a bad spot. 
in a bad spot. Verse 20 is a very difficult scripture. It says, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then they get tangled up again and enslaved by sin. They are worse off than they were before. The word tangled there literally means to be noosed. You don't have to know much about being noosed except knowing that you've seen on the, the Western shows when a person gets a noose around their neck. Being noosed is not good. And he said, the people that find themselves in this place, the people with this heart, they got a noose around their neck. They're in a bad spot. What what does this verse mean? Look at it with me again. When the people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior and get entangled again, they're worse off than they were before. Well, some people say this is saying you can lose your salvation. I think... Too much of the Bible says that's not true. When I was a young preacher, I used to preach this as a backslidden Christian because that was kind of my experience. When I got saved, God changed me. I got away from God. I was miserable. That may or may be what it's talking about. What makes it confusing is, is the word no there in verse 20. It's, a, it's a, a powerful word for a strong and clear and exact knowledge. But look at the end of verse 17 with me for a moment. It says, they are doomed to the blackest darkness. In verse 21, it would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and to reject the command they were given to live a holy life. It's important you understand what these verses mean. I think it's talking about people, whether it's you or me or some preacher, whose sexual immorality and slander and greed are are flagrant in our lives. We're in a bad spot. We're probably L-O-S-T. Why does he say it's worse than if they would have not known? I think Charles Swindoll gives three reasons. I want to share these with you very quickly. The more you know, the more you're held to account. Do you know that? Hey, guys, you've got a thousand Bibles available to you. And the more you know, the higher your accountability is going to be for God. You know that? Here's the second thing. The more you know, the harder you are to correct. Amen? You take a church with a bunch of baby Christians, you can lead them easily. You take a church with people who've been in church for 50 years, 20 years, 30 years, it's not as easy. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's because the more you know, the harder you are to correct. A lost church member is a lot harder to reach than a lost guy that's never heard the gospel. And I think this is important, this last part, is the more you know, the worse your influence can be. You go around spouting off what you know and how you know it and how you know the Bible and what you know about God. The more you know, the worse your influence can be. I would just say this. If you look at someone tonight you know and you love, not judgmentally, but you see these things, they're in a bad spot. It's a preacher, a minister, whoever, if it's you. And the last thing this passage says is without repentance, there's a bad future. Not only a bad spot today, but a bad spot eternally. And again in verse 13, their destruction is their reward 
for the harm they have done. Destruction there is talking about eternal judgment. Verse 17 is a scary verse. That last part, they are doomed to the blackest darkness. That word blackest means a heavy outward darkness. The word darkness, listen to what, if you're taking notes, write this down. It is a physical darkness. It's a thick, infernal darkness, a fiery darkness. Folks, he's not talking about the lesser part of heaven there. He's talking about hell. Last night, I was, I was reading an article, and I came across this, which is fit, I thought, well with the sermon. There is a, a material, and you can look this up. In fact, it would be interesting to look it up or YouTube it and, and see an experiment with this tonight. It's called Vanta Black. V-A-N-T-A Black. Vanta Black. It is the darkest black material made today. It's darker than anything NASA has or, or any other color. In fact, I saw today that that, that darkness is so dark, you, you shine a light on it, it just absorbs it. it, it they put red lights on it, and you couldn't even see the red light. And I wonder if, if, if hell is a place of Vanta blackness. It's probably worse. And the Bible says to you and me this evening that even if a person's a minister without regeneration there's no salvation see a lot of times ministers our church members we've been reformed we just hadn't been redeemed we've gotten better we just hadn't got saved and without salvation being a preacher a church member be your family member or friend or be it you, we're in a bad spot. I would tell you this evening, if these things are flagrant in the life of someone you know, some minister you know, or you, you need to correct it now. How do you correct it with you? If, if, if God's speaking to your heart, and he may be this evening, you need to come tonight and you need to settle it with Jesus. Because it's not only a bad spot, but it's a bad future. Come tonight and settle that with Jesus. You're a Christian tonight. Maybe you see some of these things. You know you belong to Christ, but greed or sexual immorality, or maybe it's just the way you treat other people, the way you're influencing people. You need to repent. Do that this evening. Where you're standing or at the altar. Maybe you see these things in someone you love. And you need to carefully and out of a heart of love confront them. And just say you need to get these things in your heart right with Christ. I want to challenge you to do that. You'd like to join the church tonight. You're not a member. You can come and do that also. Let's stand.